From the Annals of Thoracic Surgery and the Society of Thoracic Surgeons, welcome to Beyond the Abstract, part of the Society of Thoracic Surgeons Surgical Hot Topics series. I'm Tom Varghese, a thoracic surgeon and deputy editor of Digital Media and Digital Scholarship for the Annals. This is a podcast all about the why behind the articles and the issues in cardiothoracic surgery and healthcare, and what are the planned next steps from authors and thought leaders in the field. We're glad that you are here. If you enjoy our program, please rate our podcast on iTunes or wherever you downloaded this podcast. Your feedback is appreciated. Please remember, the opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the individuals and not necessarily of SDS. Hi, I'm Dr. Ara Vaporjan. I'm so excited to share news about the new STS cardiothoracic surgery ebook. It is the most complete and authoritative online resource of cardiothoracic surgical information available anywhere in the world. And it was authored and edited by the specialty's leading experts. This ebook provides a rich multimedia educational experience that includes regularly updated content in both cardiac and general thoracic surgery. So no more waiting for the textbook publishers to issue a new version every few years. We use the ebook in my training program and the residents love the high quality illustrations, photos, and surgical videos. The new ebook is available online or through a mobile app so that it's available in the office, at home, or at any point of care 24-7. To see a sample and learn more about the STS Cardiothoracic Surgery ebook, go to sts.org slash ebook. In the world around us, the act of benchmarking is a critical function. Benchmarking is a common practice among organizations that allows it to compare its output, operations, and processes to other organizations. It leads to increased effectiveness and efficiency, the chance to set clear goals, provides new opportunities for discovery, and sets a path for future success. As the famous actor Denzel Washington said, goals on the road to achievement cannot be achieved without discipline and consistency, or even better, dreams without goals remain dreams. In today's Beyond the Abstract podcast, we connect with one of the most amazing leaders in the world of cardiothoracic surgery, Dr. Rania Provenza, an aortic surgeon who's professor of surgery in the Division of Cardiothoracic Surgery at Baylor College of Medicine, and also serves as the Assistant Program Director of the Thoracic Surgery Residency, as well as Faculty Inclusion Ambassador there. She, at the time of the recording, is President-Elect of the International Society of Endovascular Specialists, and is also the senior author of the article, Demographic Landscape of Cardiothoracic Surgeons or Residents at United States Training Programs, which was presented at the Society of Thoracic Surgeons annual meeting in 2021 and published in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery. Their studies sought to characterize trends in the demographics of CT surgery trainees in all accredited US training programs over the past 13 years, as well as provided an updated snapshot of demographics in the year 2020. If a goal is to overcome gender and racial ethnic disparities in the CT surgery workforce, then examining trends in the act of benchmarking becomes important. Our robust conversation with Dr. Provenza explores the why behind the project, the reflections of ongoing efforts, as well as opportunities to improve as a specialty in the years ahead. Join us as we go beyond the abstract. Welcome, loyal listeners, to another episode of Beyond the Abstract, our opportunities to connect with leading lights in the world of CT surgery, on amazing articles that are published in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery. I am incredibly honored to be joined today by Dr. Arania Provenza, 
who's a professor of cardiac surgery at, at Baylor University. Uh, Dr. Provenza, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Tom, for another great podcast. Looking forward to Perfect. Well, today we get the distinct pleasure and opportunity to talk to you about your most recent article. And so this was published recently in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery. The title of the article is called The Demographic Landscape of Cardiothoracic Surgeons and Residents at United States Training Programs. Uh, this was originally presented uh, as a poster presentation at the annual meeting of the Society of Thoracic Surgeons. Uh, Dr. Provenza, well, let's get into it. Um, you know, we always start with why. Um, why, why. What was the motivation or why did you choose to embark this uh, on this project? Uh, thank you, Tom, and thank the um, uh, Society for uh, giving us the opportunity actually to uh, present some thoughts of our uh, article. First of all, I would like to thank um, my co-authors. Um, I was really um, the senior author of the, uh, of the paper, but uh, there's no question that a lot of work were done, uh, was done by um, Jackie Olive, uh, Sana Mansour, uh, and as well as uh, that were really like the leading authors of this, uh, you know, article, as well as uh, um, other um, uh, surgeons. So uh, this is what you asked me about, what really motivated us to do the um, article. This is an excellent question. A few years ago, before COVID, I was sitting in the audience um, at a large national uh, cardiothoracic surgery meeting. And a very distinguished speaker said that if you really want to make a change in something that you believe needs to be improved, then you need to know the data. Not speculations or perceptions, but you do need to know the real data. And after you gather the data, the next step is to publish, to, to publish them. That way, there are no questions about the current landscape and what you can increase, and you can increase awareness, and which in turn can lead to steps for improving uh, the status quo and the metrics needed to address the issue. And that was the logic, really, to how, and this logic we apply, you know, to this topic, and I apply to this topic. So we wanted to examine the representation of racial and ethnic minorities and women among trainees. Uh, in cardiac surgery training, and also to uh, give a snapshot of the demographics of the uh, academic surgeons in the training programs. That's, that's amazing. And uh, no, kudos to you. I mean, this data is actually, uh, in my opinion, and I, I suspect the opinion of many others, is going to be a benchmark upon which we can measure uh, going forward. And the methodology you ended up using, I mean, um, you looked at both, uh, actually all three training paradigms. You looked at the traditional training paradigm, the integrated training paradigm, as well as the fast track or so-called four plus three programs that are officially listed in the ACGME or Accreditation Council of Graduate Medical Education public databases. And as you said, Dr. Provenza, you looked at the demographics of the trainees and the surgeons. Yeah, you looked at things like gender, race, ethnicity, the subspecialty, as well as academic appointments, um, which is a monster undertaking for many of us who are very familiar with these large databases. And so kudos to you for doing this. Um, you went back in time and started tracking the demographics. Um, were there any surprising findings 
um, that you found in the study? Or was this kind of more of a validation of kind of what we had suspected all along? Uh, great points. As you can, um, as you can imagine, uh, there's a lot of limitations when we do things like that. But uh, again, kudos not really to myself, but uh, to Jackie and uh, Dr. Mansoor that uh, we really went through and uh, we reviewed this data from the ACGME um, for the um, I6 traditional and uh, FAST3 uh, programs. Uh, and then we um, extracted uh, data from the um, SGME data resources um, books from uh, 2007-8 to 2019-20. So that was a big, uh, as you said, uh, undertake. And, 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 I and I forgot to mention, then you went further also, correct? I mean, then you mm -hmm. also went through the cardiothoracic surgery network. Exactly. The yes. data to look at the cross-section of the faculty. So it wasn't yes. just trainees. It was trainees and faculty that you were doing the, the, the tracking. Absolutely. We saw, uh, we went actually, we broke down to uh, demographic characteristics of 1,000, if I remember correct, 1,170, 75 um, academic uh, cardiothoracic surgeons captured um, in the AC days as per July uh, 2020. And then we have to go through the website of the various institutions to make sure that we are. Uh, uh, validate uh, our findings. Uh, so uh, one thing to note actually was that data for race and ethnicity, this data became available in the academic year 2011-12. Uh, so we didn't really have data before uh, the 2011. So what we found was regarding the trainees that um, the proportion of women among the trainees increased from uh, 19% in uh, 2011 to 24%. So we had a 5% increase over a decade uh, by 2021. And uh, these change were largely due to increased enrollment of women in uh, I6 programs. Over the, over the same period, we saw an increase in the proportion of the Hispanics, um, mainly on the I-6 programs, uh, which was um, interesting. And then uh, also an increase of the black trainees, uh, mainly in the traditional programs. The increase was from like two to 4% and from the Hispanics was up to like 3%. Not huge numbers, but uh, definitely some uh, positive uh, trend. Now, when we, um, we broke down the demographics for the academic cardiothoracic uh, surgeons, we found approximately 10% uh, women. Now, this number, as you know, fluctuates between 27 to 10%. Uh, um, we're not be able well to broke it into the cardiac and thoracic surgeons to the subspecialty cardiac, thoracic, and congenital. Um, and when we examine by race, we, we find not something that we didn't really expect it. A majority of the surgeons were white. Uh, we had a 25% Asians, 3% Blacks, and then 8% uh, um, uh, everybody else. So we did find some improvement, no question about it. But uh, we realize also that there is a lot of work that uh, needs to be done. Uh, to achieve this uh, equitable, equitable uh, representation in the city surgery workforce. And, and I, I loved your perspective of acknowledging the limitations, as you correctly pointed out, even the definition of race and ethnicity has been a little bit controversial in the past. 
but this actually gives us a good starting point. Um, and so some of the next couple of questions I may be asking you to speculate a little bit, admittedly, but do you think we're, we're doing at least the start of a good job? Or do you think that we're still struggling to grapple with how to continue to recruit the best and the brightest to our field? That's so important question. Um, I strongly believe that um, we have started actually great initiatives, uh, both societies, Society of Thoracic Surgeons and the American Association of Thoracic Surgery, as well as other societies, the Southern Thoracic, etc. cetera. Uh, but we really have to make sure that we know how to dissect the issue and we know where the problem is. And there is several important points that we need to keep in mind. Uh, in order to address the issue, we really have to see what exactly the issue is. So let's take the racial and ethnic disparities that we talk about. When we talk about the racial and ethnic disparities, we have to look at the medical school level and what is happening even before that. Why I say that? When we see the data from the 2018-19 from the medical school graduates, the blacks represent six or seven percent of medical school graduates, and the Hispanics represent approximately five to six percent. So, what actually this tell us? What this tell us is that this is a pipeline issue. The pipeline is underfilled, so is the engagement for the URM students, the underrepresented minority students, should start before the medical school application process. So really the engagement as well as all the enthusiasm should really start even during the college years or the high school years. Um, so, so in other words, not just apply to medical school, exactly targeted interventions that we reach out and say, we want you in our specialty and that messaging and those interventions go upstream as far as possible, correct? Absolutely. And it should really go like much. I mean, medical school is one thing, but if the medical school, if right now we don't, if the pool of eligible candidate is under fill, we have to find ways to try to fill that pipeline. And of course, we have to have in mind also as we do that, that there is a significant period of time will be necessary for um, diversification among the leadership positions when we talk about these, the URM students. Um, now, when we talk about the women, the problem is a little different. I hear the medical school, half of the students are females. And the question that comes here is why, this, why um, we have half percent, I mean, half of the medical school are females, uh, but the interest in CT surgery is still so low. What are the barriers? Because apparently it's not that you don't have, your pipeline is there. Half of the medical school, 50%, is not 5%, is not 3%, is not 6%. 50% are females. 
but the interest among students continues to be low. So we have to see what are exactly the issues there. And of course, you know, multiple papers have been out regarding uh, the potential issues. Uh, some of these can be um, lack of encouragement by uh, CT surgery faculty mentors. Um, and at least in my mind, there's no, this is where it's not a pipeline issue. The pipeline here is full. There is, there are a lot of senior female uh, surgeons that can serve as role models as well as take leadership positions. Uh, but that question exists and the discrepancy is that with what a trainee or a student sees at the upper level, when the pipeline is full and we do have senior female cardiothoracic surgeons with more than 10 or close to 15 years or plus of experience, why this discrepancy exists. So you see that this, I mean, the URM students versus the female students, uh, even though both of them, they really seek their role models, the way that we as a society, we have to address the issue can be a little different because can be at different equity levels. And regarding the women, uh, it's really um, because you do have senior female cardiothoracic surgeons. This is something uh, that the existing cardiothoracic surgery community leadership has to address. Regarding the URM students, definitely we have to address the issue, but the, the issue is actually more as a society how what we do at the college level, at the high school level, before the medical school application level. And of course, when we get the students, there's no question as a society, we have to provide them, we have to support them, provide them with opportunities to feel included and be promoted and successful. That's fascinating. I mean, you know, obviously I absolutely agree with your assessments, but it's amazing that the same broader issue of representation and diversity has so many subtleties or complexities built within it. Uh, as you correctly pointed out, that dichotomy of we have to build up a pipeline versus the pipeline's already full. It's just something's there in the culture, the environment, the negativity towards women. There's something going on that we need to address and we utilize the successful role models that are already there in our profession to potentially be a part of the solution and don't take me wrong i mean it's we have done great uh, steps forward no question about it uh, but the reality is that uh, we still have ways to go um, the bias and the, all the training programs for by i mean to uh, mitigate uh, the, uh, the bias um, in local or uh, national uh, re recruitment promotion uh, awards and selection process. This is so important. And this is for um, everything, for URM students, for women. Uh, but again, uh, people usually say, oh yeah, there is for women, there is a pipeline issue. No, it's not a pipeline issue. The pipeline is full. The pipeline was an issue 25 years ago. It's not an issue anymore. Uh, you have plenty of females that they have close to 15 years of experience. So definitely it's not a pipeline issue. With the URM students, yes, there is a pipeline issue that 
we have to make sure that we are able to address. So uh, we do reach to colleges, we do reach to, um, high, to high school, and we have to make sure that uh, these students uh, see what we do and what we represent and what we treat. Beautiful. Well, obviously one of the achievements with this study is, as you correctly pointed out, we now have benchmark data that we can kind of revisit from time to time to see if progress is made, being made. Um, I think that you know, the, the natural question comes is now that we have the data, what do we do next? Um, I know your group is working on a future study uh, and you've outlined some of the steps, but can you describe to us about your, your group's next steps or the further studies that are currently being planned? I think we realize that um, one size fits all solution. This will not work. And uh, just a general solution, it just is a temporary fix for the headlines. And um, this will not really provide us a sustainable you know, solution. Um, the societies have uh, multiple equity programs for, um, I think, currently for women and uh, URM equity students. And I think all this um, working. But um, one of the things that is fascinating to me, and honestly, I would love to have your input on that and your help, is how we hold uh, leaders accountable. And what are the metrics that we can use to make sure that whatever steps we make forward will be able to actually uh, measure the results? It's one thing to say, yes, we have done this training, with, um, we mitigate the bias in the uh, recruitment, on the promotion and the awards. But my question is, how we can actually, what are the metrics that we can use to make sure that whatever we do is working? No, it's a, it's a brilliant question and it's a brilliant project to tackle. Um, I mean, I, I think that you had alluded to this in your article about it's not just recruitment, it's recruitment, it's retention, it's are there transparent changes being made, made into the culture Exactly. Uh, which, which need to, and I think that that's where the accountability measures have to come from. Um, you know, at a recent uh, national meeting, uh, Dr. Mark Neve, who's the vice president of the U University of Texas Southwestern Health System, mm -hmm. kind of alluded to the fact that diversity and equity by itself is not the end goal. You know, just because you have absolutely a, a certain percentage of faculty or trainees that are, that are diverse doesn't mean your job is done. The absolutely. Diversity, the diversity and the equity have to be the driver towards achievement of excellence. And I think that's what you're alluding to. That is, is that, yes, it's good that you are making some progress in recruitment, still more room to grow but we have to be looking at these other outcomes of excellence where the diversity and equity become the driver of the same, correct? Exactly. In a way, in order to reach the excellence, the starting point is that you already have the diversity and the inclusion, right? Yeah. I mean, diversity and inclusion is not, I mean, diversity and inclusion does mean excellence because it's a starting point for the excellence in a way. 
Correct. Uh, is where we have to start so we can move forward. Yeah. I, I think that the leadership things, uh, I mean, I'm grateful. I mean, you and I have been doing this long enough that at least we're having the conversations now. I mean, when you and I were in, when we started training, people weren't even talking about this. And I think that that's why I love the framework that you said of the start of tackling a problem is we need to look at the actual data and transparently publish the data. And and studies like you did are the first step towards that. But I I agree with you that meaningful change is not going to be achieved or sustained unless there's the accountability tied to it, which is, again, ties to the leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And just one, like, I remember, like, recent example was uh, at the same time when I was hearing that distinguished speaker that he said, you need to know your data and not speculation. Another thought that they had that we did was um, regarding the cardiovascular clinical trials, the representation of patients. And we went back and we see, I don't remember, it was like actually a lot of clinical trials that they have been uh, completed. And we looked at the patient representation and we found not, you know, something that we didn't really expect that um, we had racial and ethnic disparities as well as, um, uh, you know, women's were not well represented. And I remember very well on the discussion, one of the uh, reviewers was one of the questions that he said to me, uh, you speculate on your paper that the representation is not enough because you don't have enough investigators um, with you know, equit- equitable uh, representation of in- investigators. And then when they asked me that question, I said, actually, that's true. That's a speculation from my part. So let me prove it. And yeah. then I went back and I looked the principal investigators in cardiac surgery trials. And they said, okay, here you are. Here we have the data. And there is this disparity, and the, the, the disparities are there. So it's extremely important to, um, again, know the data and the real data, not to speculate, not to just, not just perception. And then by knowing, it's easier to find where the problem is and tackle exactly the problem. Well, Dr. Provenza, uh, that's, a, that's a brilliant uh, 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 conclusion and a, a, a launching point for our future efforts. But uh, for all of our listeners, uh, I cannot say enough about this amazing study, this amazing manuscript. And I do believe this is going to be a benchmark for us that as we continue to evolve and achieve meaningful uh, change for the better, that it's going to be a paper that'll be revisited from time to time. Um, on behalf of the Annals of Thoracic Surgery, Dr. Provenza, thank you for joining us today uh, on Beyond the Abstract. Uh, thank you so much, Tom. And uh, definitely would like to, th- uh, to thank all my co-authors, especially uh, Dr. Jackie Olive and uh, Dr. Mansour for uh, um, gathering all the data and help me uh, putting this forward. So uh, thank you. Thanks so much. Join us next time as we continue to explore and debate issues beyond the abstract, part of the Surgical Hot Topic series. You can connect with the Annals of Thoracic Surgery online at annalsthoracicsurgery.org or on Twitter at Annals Thor Surge.